earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me today, wherever you are, in your car, elsewhere on your mobile device, listening with family or a friend or two, or even catching the podcast. Friends, the Advent Christmas season begins in just a few days. Growing up in a mainline denomination, I came to appreciate the annual cycle of the Christian year, including the seasonal themes that were reinforced and which especially deepened my understanding and significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, the claim that Christianity makes for Christmas is that at a particular time and place in history, God came to be with us himself. When Quirinius was governor of Syria, in a little town called Bethlehem, a child was born who, beyond the power of anyone to account for, was the high and lofty one made humble and helpless. The one who inhabited eternity came to dwell in time. The one whom none can look at and live was delivered in a stable feeding trough under the soft indifferent gaze of cattle. When Yeshua, we know him as Jesus, finally made his entrance in that inconspicuous stable, the sky filled with singing angels. Clearly, something new was brewing on planet Earth. The Father of mercies put himself at our mercy. Well, friends, I just let on what our Advent Christmas series is being called this year. Something new was brewing on planet Earth. And today, part one, is called A Season of Newness. And the actors and actresses who step onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama known as the Christmas Story are probably among the most familiar people to most of us. There's, of course, the superstar, Jesus Christ himself, or the Christ child, or baby Jesus, who plays the leading role, if you will. Then there's the supporting cast of characters, among whom we find the most notable Mary and Joseph, the parents of baby Jesus. Mary, to whom the announcement came before she was married, via the angel Gabriel, that she would give birth to the Messiah. And Joseph, who makes a cameo appearance in Matthew's Gospel, initially a concerned and troubled fiancé, who learns that his betrothed is with child, without his participation. Additional supporting cast members would include the shepherds, whose routine it was to watch over their flocks by night. 
Or perhaps the angel who appeared to the shepherds and subsequently became part of the multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And who could forget the famous governor of Syria, the man whose name most children and even some adults stumble over when reciting the Christmas story in Luke? Quirinius. Quirinius who? Of course, another name that will live in infamy is the Caesar, Caesar Augustus, that is, from whose lips the decree went out to take a census throughout the empire. You may recall that it was this very census that drove Joseph and Mary, while late in her pregnancy, from their hometown in Nazareth to Bethlehem because it was the city of Joseph's ancestry. Perhaps even among these supporting cast members, we might include the unnamed innkeeper, who will forever remain shrouded in mystery, this side of eternity, the only clue to his participation in this Christmas drama being one sentence. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The word manger, by the way, is a kind description for fodder crib, or feeding trough, where the animals fed, probably filled with regurgitated straw and warm saliva. No wonder they immediately wrapped baby Jesus in cloths. And though wise men would certainly qualify as supporting cast members, a group of astrologers, likely from a media Persian priestly class, who were watching the stars and who interpreted a particular configuration of stars or constellations as predicting the birth of an important king. These wise men then naturally connect us to the infamous Herod the king, whose paranoia and insecurity over the threat of a new king being born on his turf led him to issue an edict to slaughter all male children two years and under who resided in Bethlehem and the surrounding territory. And, of course, we dare not leave out the famous chief priests and scribes who could quote the Hebrew prophecy where the Messiah was to be born, Micah 5, 2. Yet, did they go to greet and worship their Messiah, the newborn Savior King? No! It's pretty clear the chief priests and scribes succumbed to the same paranoia and insecurity that Herod succumbed to. A messiah would undermine their religious power base and their spiritual authority over the people. They liked the status quo. They didn't want their control disrupted or overthrown, but they were willing to be a little more patient than Herod. They waited 30 years to plot Jesus' execution. Friends, it's interesting that only during Jesus' public ministry, their underlying motivation is brought out in the open. Matthew sneaks in an editorial comment after Jesus' dissertation known as the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount covers three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7. 
and Matthew's summation of Jesus' sermon occurs in chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. Friends, we may even wish to include in the Christmas drama's supporting cast of characters Zechariah and Elizabeth, the eventual parents of John the Baptist, and the angelic visitation to Zechariah in the temple, also by the angel Gabriel, and the fact that Zechariah was struck dumb by the angel for not believing that Elizabeth, who was barren, was prophesied to become pregnant and bear them a son. In addition, we may want to include Simeon, who, after Jesus was presented to God in the temple, prophesied over Jesus and gave a blessing to Mary and Joseph. Or how about Anna, the prophetess, who, being in the temple at the time of Jesus' presentation, began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Jesus to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. But I dare say that we rarely, if ever, consider how the first Christmas impacted a character who, in my opinion, also deserves to be on the stage of the great and wonderful drama we know as the Christmas story. Because, friends, the first Christmas had a profound effect on this person, an effect so radical that it has reverberated down to the present time, an effect so far-reaching that it has defined the way we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we relate to him in our life of faith an effect so all-encompassing that this person would cast off the old clothes of the law of Moses, don the righteous robes of his Messiah, and exclaim, To live is Messiah, to die is gain. By now, some of you listening may have figured out that I am referring to Saul of Tarsus, or as we have come to know him, Paul the Apostle. And interestingly, friends, Paul's Christmas aha moment actually occurs in his letter to the Galatians. Perhaps you recall the simple statement he makes in chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, friends, the permanent solution to humanity's sin problem was embodied in this baby Jesus, this Son of God, born of a woman. The heart of the Christmas message pops up in several of Paul's amazing aha moments. In other words, his carefully crafted Christmas one-liners, like the other one in Galatians, Galatians 3.19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Another Christmas one-liner of Paul's is in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
You see, friends, Paul doesn't need a birth narrative or account of the baby Jesus' entrance into the world. He has these incredibly charged, spiritually enriching one-liners. And these Pauline one-liners are in keeping with the customary Christmas accounts found in the Gospels with reference to the purpose of Jesus' birth into the world. In Matthew one twenty one, we learn that an angel of the Lord said to Joseph in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins." In Luke 2.11, part of the angel's message to the shepherds included, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That would have been heard by the original audience as Messiah Yahweh, or Messiah God. So, friends, Messiah's entrance into the world, Christ's entrance into the world, we know it as the incarnation, signaled for the Apostle Paul a season of newness. In the spirit of the band DC Talk, Paul realized that God was doing a new thing. So I propose to you, friends, that this is precisely what Paul intended to communicate in another of his well-known texts, Second Corinthians 5.21, wrapped up in verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Then he goes on to say, We are Christ's ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, or a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the word creation in this text carries with it both the act of creating and the product created. And this is why English translations alternate between using creation and creature. Now, it becomes evident that this idea of newness really captured Paul and is seen in his repeated usage of expressions containing the word new as it relates to the ministry of Messiah in bringing salvation. Several more of these would be Galatians 6.15, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life or walk in newness of life. 
1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7. Don't you know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch, without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed." Ephesians four twenty two through 24 Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. After hearing just this representative sampling of Paul's statements in Scripture, doesn't it become evident that for him, literally, a new world was born, a new order in the world was being instituted, old things and old ways of doing things have really passed away, and something new has really come to brew on planet Earth. And why my Advent Christmas series is being called Christmas, something new was brewing on planet Earth. You see, friends, the Christ event, as it's referred to in theology, was very significant for the Apostle Paul. And for a quick lesson, by Christ event, we mean the total package, the total life of Christ as it was manifest in his birth, life and ministry, death resurrection and ascension and the christ event also includes the understanding of god becoming a human being poignantly expressed in the hebrew word emmanuel meaning god with us so for the apostle paul this event this christ event signaled a season of newness it also signaled a season of fullness. Recall Galatians 4.4 4 that I shared earlier? When the time had fully come, or when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. I propose to you, friends, that the revelation of and the historical coming of Jesus Christ prompted the Apostle Paul to recognize its newness. And it was the newness of God's revelation in Jesus Christ that prompted Paul to recognize its fullness. Fullness in the sense of fulfilling a long-standing plan of God. Friends, in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, we read, He, God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, or regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavenlies and things on the earth. These very sentiments of the Apostle Paul echo the words of Jesus when he began his public ministry. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, we read, After John, this is the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Paul also seemed to recognize that this Christ event signaled the beginning of the end of God's program within human history. The Christ event, therefore, represented the fulfillment of promises made long ago by God to the nation of Israel. Interestingly, in his letter to Titus, Paul begins with, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's chosen and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at the proper time he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. And so, friends, this Christ event became the ultimate and final mighty act in a series of divine redemptive acts in Israel's history. For a Jew, and particularly Paul, this is quite a revelation. You see, friends, 2,000 plus years ago, something new was brewing on planet Earth, and the challenge for us 2,000 plus years later is to celebrate not just Christmas, in other words, the birth of Christ, but the newness that Christmas symbolizes, because that newness brought our newness. It's so easy, isn't it, to fall into the pattern of merely celebrating a past event, but the past event will lose its power and impact if it is not appropriated into our lives in the here and now, the present. And friends, I believe one message from the drama known as the Christmas story that we can bring forward in time and live out in our day is this message of newness. In other words, celebrating our newness of life because Christ has come. Why not wake up each day and rather than mumble or settle into same old, same old, wake up and declare, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. As Psalm 118 declares, friends, why not wake up every morning and expect God to do something new? Dr. Randy Carlson, president of Family Life Radio, counselor and advocate of intentional living, once challenged his listening audience with, don't be a living routine, be a living creation. He was obviously echoing the Apostle Paul's words from 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. An emerging rock and acapella band from the 1970s and 1980s, Glad, wrote a song called In the First Light, which opened with these words, In the first light of a new day. No one knew he had arrived. Things continued as they had been, while a newborn softly cried. But the heavens, wrapped in wonder, knew the meaning of his birth. In the weakness of a baby, they knew God had come to earth. Friends, perhaps a fitting prayer for this inauguration of the Advent season might be, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. 
people who do not believe are living all around us. Lord, may we live in such a way and have our light shine before others that they will see what you have done and are still doing and will give you glory on the day you visit them and reveal yourself to them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, friends, I can see we're nearing the end of today's program and the introduction to our Advent Christmas series, Something New Was Brewing on Planet Earth. Friends, let's be especially careful this year not to be plagued by or sucked into the commercialism and merchandising that has so marred the Western world's celebration of Christmas. The four preparatory weeks of Advent actually help provide a key to recapturing the true meaning of Christmas in our individual, family, and even church lives, and we can proactively prevent the holiday's spiritual reality from being torn away from us, as the Jewish people in the first century had a sense of anticipation and expectation in their longing for the coming of their promised Messiah, let us develop a personal, family, and or corporate sense of anticipation and expectation ourselves and consciously build this into our preparation for celebrating Christmas. Well, friends, today's broadcast is closing with an email where you may write me, one listener wrote in regard to the recent program on the kingdom of God with another great message and a good review of the entrance exam to the kingdom of God. Well, thanks for those encouraging words. Please also consider joining a word from the word support team. I'd be grateful. It's listeners like you that help keep this program on the air. Just ask me for the details. Thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.